Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be hearing this message. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 322, excuse me, of our Bible Bites as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. Today my reading is in Acts 14 and 15. And so that's where we'll be talking about today, and it should be fairly short today. But Acts gives us the historical context of some of the happenings and the people involved as the growing church expands, as the church grows and prospers, and the gospel of Jesus expands, which is fulfilling the Great Commission because he said to go into all the world. And so we see how the disciples begin to do that. And that commission has continued until today. And that's one of the reasons why Acts really doesn't have an ending, because we are still living in the days of the book of Acts, because it references the church, or what some call the church age. And so in chapters 14 and 15, we see some more details about Paul and Barnabas and their excursions. We see them first. They had come to Iconium in the end of chapter 13. And so we see them in Iconium, and we see some of the works that happened there. In spite of opposition, they speak boldly of Jesus, and God witnesses their testimonies by proving it with signs and miracles. But opposition is stirred up. The whole city is pretty much split in two. And so Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra and Derby at this time. In the next section, we see them ministering at Lystra. And we see Paul look intently at a crippled man and he heals that man. But in that case, the people try to worship him, him and Barnabas, as if they're gods. They call them Zeus and Hermes as if they were some gods and they were about to sacrifice to these men. And so I want to read you how Paul and Barnabas responded to that. In verse 14, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave them himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So they tried to correct their wrong thinking, and they made certain that they did not worship them, that they were testifying that they were just men like the rest of them. So then we see how they stir up the, the people. There's more Jews that come down that are opposed to Paul and Barnabas, and they stir them up, and so they end up stoning Paul and leaving him outside the city supposing him to be dead. 
Thank God that some of the other Christians came by, though, and they go up to him, and Paul gets up, and he's okay. He gets better, and he recovers. And so the next day, he goes with Barnabas to Derby, and they keep on keeping on. Paul is like that Energizer Bunny. You know, you might think he's down and out, but he's going to get up the next day and keep on going. And so he did. He got up, and he went with Barnabas to Derby. And so in Derby, they continue the ministry there. And so then we get to the end of the chapter here, and we see them going to the church and reporting to them of all the wonderful things that happened on their missionary journey, all the things that God did, the miracles and the signs, but most importantly, the salvations, how many people were getting saved and adding to the church. Praise God. So in chapter 15, we see people coming from Judea. These are Judaizers, and they come down to uh, to tell people, "Hey, you can't you can't just be saved just by faith alone. You got to have a work that's added to that. You got to be circumcised. There's more to it than just that. We we believe in in faith is fine with works, and so that gets addressed in other places in the New Testament. How that's an incorrect understanding. Works come because you are saved, not to get you saved. And so they come and they say, well, you got to have certain, you got to be circumcised. All these Gentiles that are getting saved, they can't be saved just through faith in Jesus alone. They got to become Jews like we did. They got to be circumcised. There was tradition and there was religiosity and there was a Pharisaical spirit in the people here. And so they had to uh, abandon that. And um, so this question, you know, the, the Jerusalem church, the leaders in the church are like, well, how do we answer this? They had never had to deal with this. You see, the Gentiles had just started getting saved. And it had just been um, a few chapters earlier when the church was primarily all Jewish at first. And they were all circumcised. So they were thinking that that meant that, you know, to them, for them to truly be saved, they had to add this religious duty on top of that. And they couldn't accept that these foreigners who were uncircumcised could be accepted before the Lord because it went against their tradition. It went against their prior understanding of God's word. So the Christians were like, okay, so what do we do? What is the truth about this? So they seek the answer from God and from godly leadership. So they end up going to the Jerusalem church. And on their way, they tell people about the great works that God's been doing, and it causes great joy in all the brethren. So they come to Jerusalem, and they're received and welcomed by the people. But it says, but some of the sect of the Pharisees is still trying to say, no, it's necessary. They got to be circumcised. We got to command them to keep the law of Moses. They got to have the same burden that we've borne or whatever. And it says here, then Peter rose up. Notice this in verse 7. We see Peter rise up again as a leader, and he delivers another powerful message. And he tells them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referring back to when he was in Joppa at the house of Simon the Tanner, and he had the dream about the sheet and the, the unclean animals, and God said, eat it. 
And then the three came from Cornelius that on the delegation he had sent, and they got him to go with them. And God led him to preach to Cornelius, and Cornelius and a bunch of people got saved in that area. So that's what Peter is reminding them about, that, yeah, God told me. First off, God did tell me to go and preach to the Gentiles, just like to you. And so he goes on and he says, um, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Everybody comes to God the same way. Everyone is saved the same way. And it is, in fact, through faith alone. No works are necessary. And one of the things that proves that point to us is the salvation granted to the thief on the cross. There was no way in that moment that he could do anything but believe on Jesus and call upon him, repenting of his sins and asking for forgiveness. And that's exactly what he did. And God extended forgiveness to that man and saved him. And he will be in heaven with us because he believed in Jesus through faith alone. And everybody, Jew, Gentile, whatever it is, all come to Jesus that same way. And Peter recognizes that here. So they, they all get quiet and they listen to Barnabas and Paul telling them about their experiences and how great, wonderful things God's done among the Gentiles through their, um, their visits and their missionary journey. And I want you to notice this beginning in verse 13. And after they had become silent, James, now this James, we need to understand who this is. This is the half-brother of Jesus, James, who became a great leader in the New Testament church, in the early church. He did not believe in Jesus until after his resurrection, but Paul tells us in Galatians that uh, Jesus appeared to James as well as to some others. And so James believed on him then. And God had a place and a position for James to become a, a powerful leader in the early church. And he did. He became an assistant with Peter and worked very faithfully with Peter and the apostles in the Jerusalem church. He became the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And here we see him as a leader in the council in this Jerusalem council. And it says, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's what the entirety of the church is. We have been a people called out. As a matter of fact, the Greek word means ecclesia or is ecclesia. And it means out, I say. It means that we are the ones that God has called out. Now, we're living in among the world, but we've been called out from the world. We don't live by the same standards. We don't live by their principles. We don't participate in their evils. We've been called out, called to be a people unto the Lord and unto his name. 
And he says this, God gives him a rhema interpretation of a prophetic word from the book of Amos. This is found in Amos 9, 11 and 12. And he says, with this, the words of the prophets agree, meaning Amos, which was from the book of the 12, the 12 prophets, just as it is written. He says, after this, I will return. This is the Lord speaking. It's quoted from Amos. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, known to God from eternity are all his works, James says. So he's quoting this. He's got a rhema interpretation from the Lord that this scripture is true and is applicable in this situation and that what God is doing is fulfilling that word. It began then. And God fulfills that word. Now, I want to point out a couple of things to you. He mentions here about the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. That's what's happening and has been happening since this days of the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. The tabernacle of David, I have another whole series about that, uh, that I delved into and, and dug into the scriptures to find out about the tabernacle of David. But in essence, the basic gist, you can certainly look that up and, and listen to those messages as well. But the basic gist of the tabernacle of David was all about relationship with God. It was the one place that David wanted to be greater than any other place. He tells us that in Psalm 27, verse 5. He talks about this one thing I desire to be in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord was defunct as far as the tabernacle of Moses in David's day, in David's day and the temple had not been built in David's day. He was talking about the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David was the Old Testament pattern and revelation of the torn veil that happened in the New Testament. It was pointing to that torn veil. Because that torn veil gives an open fellowship with God to every believer, to everyone who comes through the cross and believes in Jesus. And so God was saying here that now this tabernacle of David has begun in its entirety in the New Testament church. And I can have fellowship with God and you can have fellowship with God. And he speaks about how the Gentile church is prophesied here that God is going to raise out of the Gentiles a people called by his name. And so James has that interpretation and that understanding here. So the church, by the wisdom of God, determines that we cannot lay burdens upon them. There's no burden. There's no legalistic requirement and duties they need to follow. They need to follow four key things. And they laid out these four key things. And all of those things deal with holiness and proper worship, living lives of honor to God and devotion to him and avoiding things of evil. That's what it's really all about. They said, if you do these, you will do well. So the council decides this, accepts it, and sends the letter to the people by the hand of, of Paul and Barnabas. And they also send some others with them, including Judas and Silas, when they go back to Antioch. So the letter, the, the disciples, the ones that bring it, read the letter. They get testimony from Judas and Silas. 
Notice this, a couple of quick points out of the letter that I want to bring. Verse 24, since we heard that some who went out from among us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. He says, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you who, uh, and he talked about the men that came and they've risked their lives for Jesus. And so they're coming to tell them good news. You don't have to follow all these traditions and, and have all these burdens put upon you, but you need to honor God with holy living. That's what you must do. You must abstain from the things that will draw you away from God and that will cloud and snare your soul and that will defile you before the holy God. And you need to be committed to a, to a lifestyle of a holiness. That's the necessary things you need to be doing. And I love how there's one other point I want to make out of this letter that they sent them. And it's in verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And I love that because there, that shows us that there is a witness of the Spirit of God. There is a devotion to holiness. There is a, a partnership with the Holy Spirit when we are in union with Him and in, in, united in purpose in one accord and we are united with the purposes of God. There's a witness of the Spirit. And so there's a, there's a connection between the Spirit of God and with us. There's a partnering and a co-laboring there. And that just is, a, is an awesome thing. It blows my mind to even think that God would set it up that way. So this settled the people in verse 31 with peace and encouragement. They were very encouraged by these words. And Judas and Silas, uh, also being New Testament prophets, continue to encourage them. So then we see, we go on down, then some of the ones that came from Jerusalem decide it's time for them to go back. So they go back, but Silas stays. And God sees to it that Silas stays because he knows what's fixing to happen next. And so what happens the next time is Paul. Paul is, has the heart of a true pastor, a true shepherd, a true apostle. He cares about the flock. He wants to know that those that he has planted in the churches in other places, he wants to go back and see how they're doing. He wants to check on them. He wasn't going back to see, you know, the weather or how they were faring, you know, with, with various practical things in life, although he cared about those things also, yes. But he wanted to see that they were growing in Jesus, that they were still walking with God and they were becoming strengthened and they were teaching the right things and they were believing the right things and they were living as little Christ's Christians in honor of the Lord. So he wanted to, that was what was burning in his heart. So he wanted to go back. Well, Barnabas wanted to go with him, but Barnabas wanted to take young John Mark. And if you'll remember, John Mark had left them um, back earlier in the book of Acts. And so Paul remembered that. And Paul felt like that he was perhaps too immature or had not irresponsible or maybe hadn't proven a faithfulness or whatever the case was. And so this, this, this rift or this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas actually ended up resulting in them parting for a season. They did part. And 
uh, Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus and they continue the work there. And Paul and Silas now begin on their um, journeys together as they partner in the work of the Lord. And they go to Syria and Sicilia. And their whole purpose for going was to strengthen the church. But beloved, know this. Reconciliation is always on God's heart. And so God eventually brought reconciliation between Paul and John Mark. And by the end of Paul's days, John Mark had become useful to Paul in the end. And they were able to be fully reconciled in love serving together. Praise be to God. And God can do that for us as well. His desire always is to reconcile us one with another. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today.